Hello, everybody. Great week. This is Andrew Cooperwriter coming at you for the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. So aptly named Andrew Cooperwriter Show. As always, I thank you guys for joining me. And of course, I ask you to do the most important thing you can do as a listener is like, comment, and share. That's very important things to do. If you're listening in the podcast form, feel free to tell some people about us. Turn to the person next to you. Say, hey, you got to listen to this Andrew Cooperwriter guy. He sure has a lot of great stuff to say. And if you're listening on Facebook, hit the share. On YouTube, hit the subscribe. And uh, like I said, spread the word, get people watching, get people enjoying. And then if you want to take it a step further, if you want to crack open that old wallet and help help Liberty succeed, help make a difference here in Kentucky, you can always donate at Andrew, the number four KY.com. Once again, that's Andrew, the number four KY.com. Andrew, the number four KY.com. Otherwise, <clears throat> Only other thing you guys can do for me is you can text the word Liberty to 33777. That is the word Liberty to 33777 and get signed up for our text alerts. Thousands of people already have. You can too. So uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to go over uh, the Fancy Farm stuff. So I went down to uh, Fancy Farm here uh, the past couple of days. Um, we went to an event the night before that I spoke at. It was the Marshall County uh, event night before Fancy Farm event, and then uh, the Graves County breakfast in the morning, and then finally Fancy Farm during the day. And I want to play a couple of speeches there and a couple of key speeches that I think um, go into the overall political commentary of Kentucky, while at the same time um, going into uh, just kind of it just kind of shows where the divide is between Democrats and Republicans. So without further ado, I'm going to jump in and the first speech I'm going to play. And then we're going to talk about is going to be uh, chairman Coleman Eldridge's that's a Democrat chairman's his speech. So naturally there's not a whole lot of um, statewide elected Democrats and there's not a lot of national elected Democrats either. So they don't really have a whole lot of depth on the bench. You know, if I was them, I probably would have reached out to maybe somebody like a Morgan McGarvey or something, uh, the, who's running for Congress up there in Louisville. That's not typical though. So typically, you know, what you're going to see at fancy farm is you're going to see, um, they're local kind of guys. So like Comer got to speak and the person running against Comer got to speak because that's a local uh, in that area election. You'll see their local state house, state senators speak, um, which that did occur. And then you will see statewide offices. So you'll see Senate. Uh, you'll always see them speak. And in this case, too, we got. Um, and you always see your constitutional officers because they're statewide. And then also this year, the only person who departed from being a statewide elected official that got to speak was Savannah Maddox, who is a state house rep, but is running for statewide office with governor. So, but first we're going to start off with the, uh, Kentucky democratic chairman, his speech, um, which I thought was, uh, just just really interesting, and I thought you guys would enjoy listening to it, and then we'll talk a bit after. So now we get to welcome Kentucky Democratic Party's chairman and standard bearer, Coleman Eldridge. <laughs> Coleman, we get it. 
There was a time when only Republicans get, we could get to come down here and speak was our party chair. I am told one year it was so bad that they made Larry Forge chairman for a day just so we could have somebody speak on this, this stage. But hey, making the trip has the added benefit of making sure that Charles doesn't switch to independent while he's down here. <laughs> Many of us in Frankfurt remember Coleman from, when, from the first Bashir administration when he worked for this governor's father. Of course, today he really has the worst job in politics. Every single day, he has to put a positive spin on the Biden policies and the Democratic election results. To paraphrase former Speaker of the House and Fancy Farm MC, Bobby Richardson, the future of the Democratic Party is the past. It can't be easy, especially as once was written by one of your own members, you're fighting a war machine with a pea shooter. But maybe you have the necessary schools for the job. Come and welcome to the stage. Hello, Fancy Farm. Last December, tornadoes raged through West Kentucky and tested your communities. Yet, as Kentuckians, we came together, and the entire Commonwealth joined in prayer at, for the people of West Kentucky. And every step of the way, you had a friend and a grandson of West Kentucky, our Governor Andy Bashir. Now, Governor Bashir made it clear that our commonwealth would not forget you and he has kept his promise since last december governor Bashir has been in west kentucky more than three dozen times bringing the resources of the commonwealth of kentucky as you recover and even before the tornadoes Andy Bashir promised not to forget you, and that is why during the Bashir Coleman administration, more than 153 projects have been announced here, investing more than $5 billion and creating more than 7,000 good paying jobs right here in West Kentucky. But as we gather, there are families that are dealing with unimaginable grief and loss due to the historic deadly flooding. Once again, our governor is showing through his actions how we show up in moments of devastation and embrace our fellow Kentuckians, not as Democrats or Republicans, but as Kentuckians. To the people of Eastern Kentucky, we love you, we are with you, and we will not leave your side. Now, I am proud to be on this stage as the first African-American to lead the Kentucky Democratic Party and to do so with our next U.S. Senator, Charles Booker. Now, we learned, we learned last week that Rand Paul is afraid to debate Charles. And, you know, he should be after that atrocious vote against our veterans at the very time our Kentucky National Guard was saving lives in Eastern Kentucky. Imagine being so afraid of a black guy from the West End of Louisville ending your career that you don't show up to the bank. From the hood to the hollow, Charles knows what it takes because he has lived Kentucky's promise. And when he takes that oath as the next United States Senator, he will represent not red Kentucky, not blue Kentucky, but all of Team Kentucky. Hey, y'all can boo, I'm a black man in Kentucky. You can't scare me. Now, 
I, I, I want to be clear because we've got the Attorney General here and he's not used to practicing law. So when I say beat, I don't mean in the physical sense. I mean beat like how Steve Bashir beat David Williams and Ernie Fletcher. I mean beat like when Andy Bashir beat Matt Bevin. I mean beat like when Andy Bashir beats whatever Republican makes it off the Gilligan's Island of the GOP primary unless Kelly Kraft gets off her yacht to buy the island first. This Republican primary for governor, I, I'll tell you, Mike Herman's here. Uh, Savannah Maddox is here, spreading her message, or as the rest of the country knows it, how to spread COVID. Now, look, I should be very, very careful because Savannah runs with a tough crowd from insurrectionist hanging Andy Bashir and effigy to white supremacists. So just in case Team Maddox is offended by what I say, please understand me when I say try Jesus, but don't try me. Daniel Cameron asked for zingers for this weekend, and as we've learned throughout his career, and was once once again on display earlier this week, whether it's seeking justice for Breonna Taylor or protecting victims of sexual assault, Daniel Cameron always sends someone else to do his job. Jamie Comer is here fresh off his vote to uh, uh, against interracial marriage. So honey, I I'm sorry, I guess for our, our vows, we should have said for better or worse or until Jamie Comer and 156 congressional Republicans vote against us. We have an opportunity to turn Kentucky around, but we cannot do it with these jokers over here. They believe that Kentucky's best days are behind us. I believe we will win this November. Tell the truth about these jokers and get Kentucky back on track. God bless you. All right. So what you just heard there was um, the speech there from the Democrat chair. Now that that music you hear at the end, there's a cutoff. So if you you might hear that in some of these other videos we're going to go through, but um, you'll hear that at the end and that'll kind of that kind of cues them off. But one thing to know first, I, I, I want to comment on what was um, David Osborne's joke at the beginning. It, it, just a little bit of news there for you. Charles Booker had reportedly stated that he was thinking about shifting uh, a party. So he was thinking about changing up parties to being an independent. And so that was that joke about, Hey, you got to come down here and make sure he stays uh, a Democrat, which is kind of funny. It actually was a funny joke there by uh, Osborne, you know, funny Osborne MC'd this event. He did have some pretty funny ones throughout. One of the ones I liked the most personally was when he said, um, Oh, geez, the state senator down there. Jeez, whatever is uh, um, the state senator down there. He how it's how right. He gave a, a speech down there. And during that speech, um, and while through doing the introducing, they were doing the whole, you know, here's a um, here's your introduction uh, stuff. And he said that in the House, he was their favorite senator, but that's a pretty low bar. So there's uh, David Osborne making a good joke about how, um, well, how hard it is to work with the state Senate sometimes for the house. And so, but a couple of comments he made there, um, 
one, it is clear to the Democrats, denial is just a river in Egypt. Uh, they have absolutely no ability for self-reflection and to realize that the way they're going is a bad direction. And it's not the way that Kentuckians want them to go. And instead, they prefer to go with this divisive stuff. Like, I, 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 never, I never understand I, I do understand why they do it. I just don't understand how people buy it. That we have these Democrats that say, well, the Republicans are so divisive and so violent and so mean and extremist. And then we've got Democrats like like uh, the, the, the Kentucky state chair saying, um, you know, I'm a black man in Kentucky. I ain't scared of you. Implying that all of Kentucky is racist and that being a black man in Kentucky means that he is used to being attacked constantly and, and everything else because he's black, which means that everybody else is being racist by attacking him. And because of that, he can handle uh, um, um, any booing or attacks and stuff. And see, that's the kind of thing that Democrats don't realize. While Republicans push forward a story of more positivity that we all, I, I look at the Republican image. You're capable, you're competent, you can do things on your own. You don't need the help of the government. Government gets in your way. It's holding you back. Uh, you, the, you have opportunities in your life and to go forward. And then we have the Democrats saying all of Kentucky is racist. And then he says that, um, he made the joke about all Maddox supporters being insurrectionists or, or white supremacists, but then challenges them to a fight. Says, oh, well, if that upsets you, remember, uh, you could try Jesus, but don't try me. What, what are you saying there? Are you saying like, like you call Republicans the violent evil ones and then you sit there and you literally go to town uh, um, attacking and and basically wanting to fight Republicans with your comments and and look, I know I'm not going to sit here and say that. You know his his comments were so extreme to say he was trying to square up or anything like that. But I mean, they were clearly I, nobody else brought up physically getting into altercations with people other than the DNC chair. And it, I just I just want to play it for you because it just goes to show just where. They are at now. Another thing I forgot to say before this started fancy farm, the yelling, the booing, the heckling that is common at fancy farm. That's what goes on. Of course, the Democrats are far, far worse than the Republicans. They constantly are yelling out during Daniel Cameron's speech. They chained Brianna Taylor the entire time, drowning him out. But we're not going to play that speech next. Um, what I wanted to play, so this was a this was honestly an ongoing theme throughout the night with Republicans. They we're not shy about talking about the gender theory and CRT issues and things like that. And so, you know, Rand Paul was stuck up in, um, Thank you up so in, uh, uh, DC because Thank of the vote so going on there. So his wife came down to take his position, uh, at the stage and, and mainly, like I said, they're doing that, um, just in order, just in order, because he's up there voting, so they had to send down a sub. So I'm going to play Kelly Paul's speech, and I I'm going to tell you, she's a better speaker than Rand Paul is in this type of environment. She she just is. And, and I'm not saying Rand Paul's a bad speaker. I'm just saying Kelly Paul really, really stepped up to the plate, knocked this out of the park, in my opinion, and did not shy, shy away from talking about some pretty um, – Pretty interesting uh, uh, topics, to say the least. Topics that really upsetted uh, the Democrats. I'm sure you'll see <clears throat> articles about uh, how Republicans hate LGBTQ and everything else, and 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 of course, you know, 
as atypical par for the course, but I'm going to play this speech um, here and then we'll talk about it uh, after. Everybody, we all know Democrat policies are killing the middle class. Record inflation, soaring gas prices, empty shelves. The economy is tanking and every American knows it. What's the Democrat solution? Just raise taxes and double the size of the IRS. Biden says, don't worry, we're not in a recession. Well, I wouldn't expect the Democrats to know what a recession is. They can't even define what a woman is. Speaking of women, speaking of women, Rand and I stand with great female athletes like University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines. Meanwhile, the Democrats are cheering for the men who are stealing women's rightful athletic victories. We say no more men in women's sports. I am worried though. I'm worried about Kentucky Democrats. They used to be everywhere and now you can barely find one. Maybe, maybe it's because the Democrats went from promising a chicken in every pot to a drag queen in every school. Now think about it, think about this. Chinese kids are learning calculus in the third grade. What are the Democrats teaching our kids? That men can have babies. Well, come November, we're gonna say bye-bye to the Democrats and their drag queens. Now, some people ask me, why is Rand so hard on poor Dr. Fauci? Well, it's simple, because the American people deserve the truth. We deserve the truth about taxpayer funding of dangerous gain-of-function research in a Chinese lab. We deserve the truth about the origins of a virus that killed millions of people. Rand Paul, Rand Paul spoke out when everyone else was afraid to. Despite Fauci lying about the origins of COVID, Rand convinced every senator, Republican and Democrat, to vote for his amendment to immediately stop funding risky experiments in China. Now I promise you this, come November when we win, Rand Paul will subpoena every last document of Dr. Fauci. Kentucky and across America. Now Charles has a solution. He wants to defund the police. When his best friend, Quintez Brown, tried to assassinate a Louisville politician, Charles was unusually quiet. When Black Lives Matter bailed the assassin out of jail after just two days, not a peep from his good friend Charles. But when asked 
watched on television whether he favored defunding our police, Charles was loud and clear. Now is the time, he said. Louisville now has more murders per capita than Chicago. In the West End, kids aren't safe at the bus stop. But what does Charles want to do? Defund the police. Over 20 children murdered in Louisville this year. And Charles' response? Defund the police as soon as possible. Have y'all seen Charles' new TV ad? It really reminds me of somebody. It looks like he was inspired by Jesse Smollett. Now, I'm not sure who should be more embarrassed, Jesse or Charles. Now, they say charity begins at home. I guess Charles takes that literally since he pays himself $150,000 a year from his so-called charity. You know what? I have a good idea for him. Maybe he should rename it from the hood to the dollar. <laughs> Kentuckians will reject Charles and his Democrat platform because it is dividing Americans. It is not uniting us. Democrats say America is a hateful nation, a racist nation. Republicans, we love our country. We believe every life has value. Yes. That is why Rand Paul will continue to be Kentucky's great defender of the United States Constitution, which enshrines the rights of every American and that they come from our creator, not from the government. Rand never forgets that he fights for you and for our country, which is the symbol of hope, freedom, and opportunity around the world. All right, so there we go. There's, uh, there was Rand uh, Paul's wife, Kelly Paul's speech, and um, I had the opportunity to listen to her give her speech last night, and then actually, uh, me and Kelly Paul were able to speak very briefly on a couple of things. So one thing I want to hit upon that's incredibly important, newsworthy, that the Pauls do get um, is this talk of doubling the size of the IRS. For those who missed it, this bill that just passed up there in the Senate, the way that they're going to fund it, they said, is by um, going ahead and doubling the size of the IRS. We're going to close tax loopholes and we're going to catch those wily uh, a tax evaders, right? But here's the problem. Here's the thing people don't haven't talked about a whole lot, but uh, Rand Paul, I know, gets it because of my conversation with Kelly Paul. She right away picked up on it too as well. And that is simply, simply this, that the IRS does not really audit rich people, okay? They've said it time and time again, the IRS does not audit rich people. They audit the middle class more than anything else. And here's the reason why is that first, uh, the expense to audit a rich person is incredibly high. Their taxes are more complicated. It takes more time to go through it. And then also, if you do find something and you want to get money from them, they have the attorneys and lawyers and everything that come through just to fight you on it. And what ends up happening is, is they can spend more money trying to collect the, the, the tax money from the rich people than they do 
um, expending to go through it. And, and it gets very expensive compared to if instead you audit the middle class and you're able to find, oh, they missed, they should have paid 20 grand more in taxes or 10 grand more in tax, 20 grand over this period of time, whatever, you know, the middle class is a lot less likely to go out and hire an attorney because you can spend 10 grand auditing them, their taxes are simpler, and then you're able to pull out and find that 20 grand that you can hit them with. And then when it's at 20 grand, it starts to become the question of, okay, well, do you want to fight it with attorneys or just pay it? Or what do you want to do? How do you want to address it? because it's at that amount of money where it's where it's close to there and that's what the irs actually will be doing and that's what's so diabolical about this that's what such the issue is with the doubling of the size of the irs it isn't because um the the, the democrats want to sell you they want to tell you it's about auditing rich people and closing tax loopholes and making the rich pay their fair share but that isn't what irs audits do they target the middle class and and we're going to see twice as many audits now of the middle class as what we were seeing before to pay for whatever boondoggle type climate disaster thing that they think they need to take more of your money to pay for and and that is incredibly evil it's incredibly far and and no wonder why the democrats keep losing that's the way they look at things that's the way they attack things they think these kinds of things are just so completely uh, uh, um, just, just they. It's, it's like they say one thing, they do another, but it's not even that. They pretend to care, and they don't even come close. We're not even pretending caring. They don't even know exactly how to care. Something we'll talk about here in just a second. The other thing she brought up, she talked about the UK swimmer, and what that was about was uh, uh, Leah Thomas, who's the 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 dude that became a uh, uh, well that says they're a girl now and swims in women's sports. There that took um, that got nominated for NCAA women of the year award and and you know you got that you got caitlin jenner at 1.2 got had that woman of the year award you know and that's very offensive i could see that being very offensive to a woman especially a woman athlete like this uk swimmer and also a, a woman like um miss paul here because you know it's 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 offensive that our culture sits there and says look you know we we have these individuals that aren't even biological women and we're going to throw them in with regular women women who are born women that have advantages and say oh these are all really great people even though women have been women their entire lives dealing with growing up being a woman and everything else are are able and and their positioning is is downplayed with that and one thing is clear, too, by the fact that she brings it up, that they will lose on social issues. Now, something to understand, too, about this BLM, why are they so mad at BLM? You, you've, you've, you know, I think based upon conversations and hearing the speeches from Ms. Paul and also talking a few times with Rand, I can tell you that the Pauls are very, very bothered by BLM and not because of anything outside of this, but, but you know, let's keep in mind that Rand Paul did sponsor the Brianna Taylor bill at the federal level to end no knock warrants. Despite that BLM came out and, um, and lumps and, and says, you know, Paul's awful, everything. And, and worse than that. Um, if you remember a few years ago, there's a story where Rand was walking down the street, him and his wife, uh, a couple of friends, they were walking, they were in a traffic jam in an Uber, they get out and they walk the 200 feet down to a hotel or 200 yards to a hotel. 
And that time he gets recognized and a crowd of a hundred or more starts surrounding them, spitting on them, throwing things on them. Officers had to be called out with their bikes to create a moving barricade. And, and they were almost knocked down. Liquids were dumped on them. All kinds of, it was, is violent, vile attacks on the poles as they're trying to go in. And these, these are people that are, are yelling obscenities at them. And so it's no wonder why they dislike them. They're, they're, they're so, it's not even just anger. They're, they're, stupid they're just stupid i mean it, it doesn't even make sense if you're going to attack somebody over the brianna taylor stuff why would you attack Rand paul the one guy trying to end the the no-knock warrants thing that um you know a lot of people blame for her death it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but that's how dumb they are that's how they think is is oh there's an r next to her name let's just attack them and and not just like you know, Republicans as a whole were told to be quiet and contained. I mean, geez, I was called a, a crazy far left unhinged person for being passionate about the fact that we need to get things done in the legislature. Meanwhile, what the left's level of throwing things and attacking things, remember Rand Paul one time got beat up by his neighbor too, and, and really bad, like broken ribs and things like that. And all the pundits and all the news sources like, ah, oh, well, he deserved it. Ha 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 ha. And then if one Republican says one thing, oh, oh clutching my pearls, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. But th that kind of gives you some idea of why Kelly feels so strongly there about BLM. And then, you know, it, another question, I'm not going to play Booker's speech because it's boring and it's dumb, but... <laughs> I mean, there really isn't much there there, but you do ask this question. She brought up a good point when she's talking about Booker's $150,000 a year. He's getting paid from his charities, which is accurate. And, and I believe his wife gets paid too, like a hundred, 150 K a year from those charities. I think so. Double check it. But anyways, um, which begs the question, why is Booker even running for the Senate? Why didn't he, if Booker had, he's in Louisville. He lives in Yarmouth's old seat. Remember, Morgan McGarvey, that seat, Yarmouth has retired, right? The congressman uh, for Louisville. He's retired. And that opened up a seat where you had Attica Scott and Morgan McGarvey running for it. Morgan McGarvey ends up winning that seat, I think, 60, 40, whatever, or 70, 30. Why didn't Booker run for that seat? He already had a high name ID. I get it. He was a he he was kind of a shoe in already for the Senate. But if it's about actually wanting to to win office and make a difference, why wouldn't you run for that seat? Because one, that's an office that I think Booker could have won. But two, two as well. Um, it's 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 an office you can win, and the Senate. I, I just, there's no path for Booker to win Senate. I think if everybody's being very honest with ourselves, there's no path there. Rand Paul's very well liked in the state overall. It is not going to be a blue wave year. It's a red wave year. His fundraising isn't there. It's not like he's going to raise the hundred million like McGrath did to dump against McConnell. He's going to raise probably a couple million dollars. Don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money, but still it's, it's, you would have been better off running for Congress. Instead though, he decided he was going to run for Senate. And so it, Every through that whole thing, through the Kelly and 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 through Booker's um, Charles's speech there, I was just thinking the whole time, why is Booker even running for the Senate? Right. It seems like kind of a waste of time when you had the opportunity to run for Congress. OK, and I had one more speech I want to play for you. And, and you know, I have to play it after um, I played you Kelly's speech so you can make sense. So uh, um so James Comer, he's the congressman uh, down that area, um, is running against this uh, Jimmy um, Osbrooks. 
Okay, I have no idea who this guy is. Jimmy Osbrooks. Um, and he gave a speech that is one of the most whiny, complainiest. Uh, it just, it just <laughs> the speech, the whole entire talk, it doesn't sound uplifting or positive. The whole entire speech, it reminds me of um, a kid. <laughs> it reminds me of a kid that's not getting their way. That is just like, well, it's, I don't care that I'm not getting my way. I, I still think this is right. <laughs> And, and so I'm going to play this for you here. Um, um, take a take a listen and uh, you'll you'll see what I'm saying. I want to take just one brief moment because standing here today is a first. I am the first mental health professional to ever run for federal office. I'm also the first openly gay candidate to ever make it to the general election on any ballot in Kentucky's history. I am a proud native of Kentucky, born and raised, and I see firsthand as a mental health professional each person that is affected by the pandemic, that's, a, that's affected by this side of the room. And I am glad that Miss Paul left because that was an insult to me and to many of my friends. We are human beings. We are people. And when I look across this audience, I see not Republicans or party, anything. I see people. And you cannot stand here, sit here, and say that you do not know one person that belongs to the LGBTQ plus community. They're in your families. They're in your neighborhood. They are not criminals. They are people. This is a time that we need to unite as a state. When I go to DC, I am going to represent each and every one of you, even though you are biased against me, I still believe in you. And you have an opportunity to have someone that's actually going to listen to you. Because when I walk into the Capitol, my party gets set to the side because I am here to represent each and every one of you in the Commonwealth and in the nation. So you can sit here and you can laugh at me. You can make jokes at me. I don't care. But I do care about your rights. And every woman in this audience needs to vote for me because I will give your right back to govern your own bodies because they took it away. You have a choice. You deserve to have your choice. And I need to have my protections. I live in a community where I cannot be who I want to be if I'm openly gay. Housing is denied. Employment is denied. That's why I opened up my own business. Opened up my own practice, and I serve the LGBTQ community across the state. I serve on the board of the Kentucky Counseling Association. I care about Kentucky. 
You may not care about Kentucky. You may not care about me, but I care about you. This is a first. Charles and I are going to make a difference in DC. And you are going to appreciate and invite us both back at this next picnic. And you're going to be changing your attitude because we're going to prove to you that we care about you and that we are here to represent you. And I see someone over here holding a sign. And yes. What do you say, ma'am? Yeah, too. Right. I work with a number of kids that have been taken away from children, taken away from their homes. And it's not fair. Thank you. Thank you for having that right to raise your voice. Because right now, Republicans have muffled and silenced you for way too long. You need to make sure your voice is heard. And all I can tell you is that I am proud to be here today. I am proud to take this moment to say, God bless you. All right. So there you go. There was um, whoever that guy was. <laughs> I've wrote down his um, I wrote down <laughs> I wrote down his uh, his name somewhere and I can't find it. Osbrook. I think that was it. Osbrook. OK, so what do we know about this guy? We know he's a mental health professional, which. I, this is it's it's a weird thing. See, he, he later on he talks about how he's a business owner, I and he started his own practice. I would have probably started off with you know, hey, look, I own my own business. I'm a mental health professional, but instead he starts off with I'm a mental health professional. Now, why does he start off there instead of talking about a business owner? Because Democrats believe and some Republicans that expertise in something like mental health is more important in our government right now than having experience uh, um, managing a company, cutting a payroll, but more importantly, dealing with the ins and outs of government taxation and government regulation and how much that sucks away at the bottom line. See, that's what something us business owners understand. That's why you oftentimes you'll see business owners being very, very passionate and involved in, gov in, in government, specifically on the Republican side, is because we deal with the dumb taxes and dumb things all the time. And it makes us very passionate. We see dumb policies. And of course, you know, COVID brought out a lot of people to step up and, and, and step out. But let's talk about here. So we know he's a mental health professional. Okay. We know he's gay because he because he decided to tell us that right off the bat. He's the first openly gay person on a ballot. And then, you know, which is funny that 
then proceeds to talk about how we all hate him because he's gay. I don't hate him because he's gay. I hate him because he's whiny and complainy. And he'd rather sit there with this, like, it, it came off very, I'm holier than thou. I'm, I'm an expert. I'm better. I know what's better for you than you know what's for you. I love you. I care about you. And that's just that's just so typical liberal. I care about you. I love you. I know what's best. You're going to be welcoming me back because I am just the expert. It's like my mom. Like, no, thank you. I have a mother, a wonderful mother. Uh, I moved out of the house and she doesn't even say those things anymore. But yet here we go. We've got and, and what do we expect from a bunch of Democrats that want to see the nanny state grow? Literally, you know, we're going to call it the mother state. They, they use those maternal terms. Oh, love and care everything else. I don't want my government to love me. Okay. I've got a wife. I've got a kid. I've got my parents. I've got my family. Okay. I've got God. I got you. I, I don't need government to, to, to give me love. And if you need government to love you, you need to find purpose in your life because government will never love you. It hates you innately because it has to take from you. It's like a parasite. It has to suck off your labors and work in order to survive. Okay. But he, he, he talks about that. He talks about what's interesting. He's talks in mental health. He talks about the lockdowns causing mental health issues real briefly, but I get, and he says, I've been working with you and I see you there that this, now he doesn't say lockdowns. He says pandemic. Cause if he says lockdowns, then in that case, the question becomes, well, didn't you support those shutdowns? Oh, you did. Yeah. You support all the shutdowns that cause those issues. And, and it's just, it, that part just doesn't compute. Then he goes on, of course, to attack uh, Kelly Paul, talking about how awful and mean she is for her comments about the transgender and talks about how that offensive that is to him. Like, he's not transgender. He's gay. I don't know why he's so offended by it. And gay and transgender are two totally different things. He goes on to talk about um, how he doesn't – one, no, do not. If you're a fancy far, if you're in anything, if you're being heckled, if you're being tacked, do not engage. Don't engage with the crowd when they're heckling with you. That is the biggest mistake you can make. And he made that mistake right there at the end. He talks about how he cares about your rights to talk about abortion and then follows it up by saying uh, uh, my protections. And what he was alluding to there was the fact that he has been discriminated against because he's gay by employers and housing and everything else. That's what he has said. Um, now, what's funny, though, is he he ignores that. He talks about, oh, you're right, but then ignores the First Amendment rights. And, and your First Amendment rights isn't um, just about free speech, okay? The First Amendment is about uh, a, a lot more than that. So the First Amendment exactly says, okay, Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise, therefore— abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for regresses for, I'm sorry, for, for redress of grievances, right? So there's your first amendment. Okay. So no law respecting. So the first issue becomes is he's talking about his, Oh, I care about your rights. And then he talks about um, how, well, you know, you, you have to, um, 
uh, well, I need to be protected though from people who hate me. Well, they don't hate you. If somebody doesn't want to rent a house to you because they don't want you and your boyfriend or husband uh, engaging in sinful activities in their home because that's their religion. And, and you got to understand too how we Christians think. You know, we are blessed by God to have what we have. And when we take care of what we have and when we honor God with it, we get more. That's kind of the whole entire process, right? That's why, you know, people talk so bad about preachers and pastors and how they typically have some money and everything else. It's not that they have money because they're paid a lot of money. It's because they're good stewards of money because they're biblical in nature most of the time. And so basically it's, 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 it's just real interesting to me that he says that, Oh, well, I've got these rights and, and that somehow I care about your rights. And then I need to override your rights with my protections. Cause you also have a right of association, right? So you have the ability to associate with who you want to, you can't be forced to associate right um and so when by your your and that's a right that's also in the first amendment is is that you can freely come together and associate with who you want to and they can't force you into personal relationships or to be part of a groups that have differing viewpoints from you and so that is something that he is once again overriding when he's talking about my protections now um I think you know free market deals with most of those things as we talk about uh, those types of protections and things like that. But regardless of all that, it's just really interesting to me that he doesn't understand the first thing about what rights are. I mean, he, he talks about rights. See, it's funny. He, the only right he seems to recognize is the right to an abortion, a right that doesn't even exist in the Constitution, factually now. Uh, that doesn't even exist in the constitution, but then ignores rights that do exist in the constitution, like religion and freedom of association, when they interfere with how he's worried that people may be mean to him because he's gay. You know what? I heard your speech. I don't think people are mean to you because you're gay. I don't think people are mean to you at all because you're gay at all. I think they're mean to you because you're a bad person. You sound like a bad person. You do. And, and I, look, look, maybe you're a good person. Okay whoever you are, maybe you're a good person, but the way you came across to that, to me, where one, you don't even understand rights Two, you talk about taking things away. Three, you come across holier than thou. I know what's better for you. I want my government to love you and everything. You just come across like stereotypical. Uh, uh, I really love you liberal that really just wants to force other people to do the work that they don't want to do. That wants to take from others and give to others, but not give up anything themselves and only cares about themselves. And you don't care about the respecting the rights or freedoms of others. You only care about yourself. That is the typical liberal. That is your viewpoint. I mean, I'll give an example. Earlier on that day, I was walking around and somebody, um, I ended up in a conversation with somebody and they asked because I was wearing my state treasurer shirt. And uh, as well as my, you know, Andrew Cooper for state treasurer uh, uh, name tag. And they asked me, you know, what's the state treasurer do? And I kind of talked about it. And I talked about, you know, um, some of the procedural things, ensuring money spent properly and correctly and everything else. And one of the things that came up was um, Andy Bashir and the lockdowns. And I mentioned how, you know, that didn't follow proper procedure because he didn't go through the legislature in order to get uh, the proper funding. He should have called legislature back in and appropriated proper amounts of money and not just sat there appropriating left and right and had that conversation. That would have been proper governmental process and how I really respect governmental process above all else. And their response, at first they agree with me that they really respect governmental process. And then they say, well, but in that case, it was an emergency, right? And I go, okay, well, what's an emergency? 
And they said, well, you know, I think uh, an emergency is pretty self-explanatory. It's about, you know, saving lives. And I was like, okay, well, the WHO just called um, Impox a, a um, emergency. And there's only been like three deaths worldwide. So would you call that emergency? She's like, well, you know, um, I think, uh, I think it is, uh, uh, you know, it's not just about saving lives, but quality of lives too, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, okay. So it's not even just about death. So can we at least agree that we are having a debate? Because yeah, we're obviously debating. I was like, okay, so you can then agree. Definitionally, <laughs> it is debatable over what an emergency is. And, and, you know, government, yes, our systems and processes makes it harder for us to respond in emergencies, but it ensures us a lot of freedoms and a lot of liberties. And, uh, that's really great things. And she says, and I'm not kidding you. She says, no, uh, uh, she says, you know, I just don't think, um, freedoms and liberties are worth people's lives. And it's like, how flipping nice for you to think how it's 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 so incredibly self and 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 it's so privileged how privileged of you to say that you're sitting there enjoying the liberties and freedoms other people have paid with their lives for and then you sit there and say well i don't think it's worth dying for you know i think all our men and women in uniform would disagree i think all of our officers and frontline first responders would disagree and it's something the left will never understand they never will get is that sometimes there are things bigger than yourself that are worth dying for even, or giving up your personal freedom for. And there are things worth more than you. And, and that, and, and, and a lack of religion of faith, you know, atheism, whatever you want to call it, is, it has maybe caused it. Maybe it's a, an amount of these people just, they just bought into to dying is the worst thing to happen in the world. Not understanding that it's about taking care of those around you and, and leaving behind a better world than you found. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's interesting to see what their thought processes are. There's a few other two pieces of news that came out of it. We're talking about Thomas Massey endorsed Savannah Maddox for governor. That's what Savannah announced in her speech. Comer made some overtures that he will be endorsing um, Kelly Craft for governor. Um, I think you might see Andy Barr endorsing Ryan Quarles for governor. That isn't news. This is speculation. So here's news news. Thomas Massey did endorse Maddox. Comer has made overtures that he's pretty much endorsing Kelly. That's news news. Now this is my guessing. I think Annie Barr probably ends up endorsing Quarles. Quarles is in Annie Barr's territory. He's probably gotten to know Annie Barr very well. Um, but then I think um, we'll see how Rogers endorsing probably uh, Kelly Craft. Um, of course, Eastern Kentucky, Cole, Cole Barron, husband there. I could see why Hal would probably end up endorsing her. And then, um, you know, pure speculation. I have no idea who Brett Guthrie would endorse for governor. But we did see the first official federal uh, um, person in office endorsement of Thomas Massey uh, by um, from Thomas Massey of Savannah Maddox. So there you go. That's your news, guys, for this week. Thank you for joining me. Please share it out. We'll see you here next week. Have a great day.